0: Bible's here tonight and go to the book of 1 John. If you did not get a handout, uh, go ahead, Kyson, I should have had you do that while we are doing the announcements. If you didn't get a handout while Kyson's walking around, just catch his attention and he'll be sure and get those to you. Um, I'm going to start trying to have those on the back table there, uh, at least on Wednesday nights, uh, to help expedite our process there. And so 1 John chapter number 1, our text tonight is going to begin in verse number 8, but let's start reading in verse number 1. So if you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. First John and chapter number 1. <clears throat> uh, I believe with my heart of hearts that this passage and... Um, The truth that's contained in it that we're going to hopefully try to divulge tonight and go over in this sermon uh, is something that can revolutionize your life if you'll let it. Uh, We talked about this last week that there was kind of a part one and a part two to this. And tonight is kind of the payoff. So if you weren't here last week, don't worry. We'll try to get you where you're on the same page with everyone. Uh, But I hope you'll give good attention. I know it's been a long day, a busy week. A lot of things going on, it's easy to get uh, tired and get distracted, but I believe God's got something really important for us tonight, so let's really hone into God's Word tonight. Alright, right, First John chapter 1 and verse number 1 is where we'll pick up our reading. That which was <clears throat> from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, of the word of life, for this life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Here's where our text will begin for this evening. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Take that, Calvinist. Right? Can't get much clearer than that. Jesus died for the sins of everybody, not just a select few. We're going to talk here tonight about this. Conceal or confess. Conceal or confess. May God bless the Lord. You could be seated and thank you for standing <clears throat> in honor of the scriptures uh, here this evening. <clears throat> my family had the opportunity uh, back in 2021 uh, to go to uh, Disney with my in-laws. There we are. <laughs> yes, we're all masked up because it was COVID central, amen? And they were pretty strict about all that stuff. And uh, we told our kids, you better soak all of this up because it's never happening again. Uh, Evie's parents paid for the whole trip for us and uh, covered everything with it. And we were doing like I do. So the first day, we're like trying to be chintzy and cheap. And they're like, get the big meal and get this. And we're like, absolutely, let's do it. Kids, this will never happen again in your life. And so uh, we had a great time with that. It got postponed many, many times because of COVID. It got pushed back. It was supposed to happen in 2020, and then got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Finally happened in 21, and it was really a, a, a lot of fun. The kids enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, <clears throat> rewind quite a bit. When I was a kid, I had the opportunity to go to Disney. There I am. I'm the kid in the blue shirt that's holding his hand out. Sorry, the picture's super grainy. I asked my mom for this today, and uh, this is the best she could get me. And so my oldest brother is there in the middle acting like he's too cool for Sunday school. And then my oldest sister who's just not even wanting to be there, and then my little sister, who's unsure of what's going on. So really, I'm the only one having a good time there, apparently. Uh, But uh, we had the opportunity, I was about Andrew's age, uh, so about 10, 11 years old, we had the opportunity to go to uh, Disney when I was that age. Now, the most vivid memory I have of what is the most magical place on the earth, supposedly, was not the rides, park characters, or shows, or any of that, The thing I remember most about that trip as a child was abdominal pain. (laughs) The reason why, my dad is someone who, if we're going to spend the money, we're going to get our money's worth. And so for him, I vividly remember at one point in the trip, him grabbing me by the shoulders and screaming in my face, David, get happy now! And I instantly just, okay, I'm happy now, and it just fixed everything. (laughs) But uh, he was one who was very much so. We're going to, we got, he had it all scheduled out. We got to be here by this time. We got to do this. We got to do this. Got to do this. And I was having a great time, you know, running here, there, and everywhere and trying to do everything everywhere in two hours. And so things that were necessary for life, like bathroom breaks, kind of went out the window. Because I wasn't going to be the one to tell my dad, your schedule needs to be canceled because I got to go. So for several days, I didn't go, and I got constipated bad. And some of you are like, I didn't know we were going to church for this tonight. <laughs> wow, you get a little too personal, Pastor. <clears throat> and so I, I remember I thought I'm just going to have to suffer through the pain. The trip was not fun anymore, and uh, I remember towards the end of the trip, finally the miracle happened, and God blessed, and things happened like they were supposed to, and the suffering was over. Now, the reason I bring this up, I'll spare you all the details with that, but I suffered needlessly uh, with that pain, mainly because I was unwilling to talk to my parents about my issue, my uh, problem that I was having. I allowed it to become a problem, and then I didn't tell them it was a problem, and it just got worse and worse. Instead, I tried to conceal it, act like everything was fine, and it made it get worse and worse by concealing the problem. Now, oftentimes, I think as believers, what happens is is we have an issue and we have a problem in our life of sin, and instead of Revealing it to the light and getting it out where we can get help and resolving problems, we think in our mind and in our heart, I need to cover this up and conceal it. Nobody can know. God can't know. My spouse can't know. My pastor can't know. My church member friends can't know. I have to conceal this. I can handle it. And what has probably happened in your life as you've tried to conceal it is you've realized a few things. It gets worse and it hurts more. God did not design you to conceal sin. But I'll tell you, every sin that we have that comes in our life we have one of two options that we can do with that. We can either conceal it or we can confess it. Now, One problem is, if you conceal sin, you can start to have doubts, even doubts about your own salvation, which is one of the things that 1 John is primarily written about. These things have been written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, one of the reasons why believers doubt their salvation is because they've got some hidden sin that has not been dealt with and is like a dead skeleton in a hidden part of their life, and it is beginning to cause major suffering and problems in their life. Now, really quickly, let's go over John's journey so far. So, in uh, just kind of by way of review here, verses 1 through 4 uh, of chapter 1, John talked about this. He was an eyewitness of the gospel. Of course, the word, the gospel, is Jesus Christ, And he wants everyone to know about the gospel. So he's testifying it to everyone. Well, what is the gospel? Is this. Well, Jesus brings joy. So be joyful in Christ. I mean, that that really is the essence that he says. Go back to the beginning in verse 1. Because if you go back to the beginning, you'll remember the true simple gospel that you believed. You repented of your sins and you trusted in Jesus Christ. And there is joy there. And now all these false doctrine gospels, other gospels, as First Peter would say, which are not other gospels, have come in and, um, yeah, now you've lost the joy of your salvation. So he reminds them, go back to the beginning of the gospel, the word, Jesus Christ, because Jesus brings joy. Last week we talked about this in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1. Sin is always a barrier to fellowship with God. Now, that's true of a sinner who is uh, unregenerate and unsaved. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They transgressed God's law, and what happened? They were separated from fellowship with God. Everywhere you see in, in the Bible and in human history where there is human sin, you find a rift or a breaking of fellowship between us and God. Okay? And so sin is always a barrier to fellowship with God. And, of course, there was a false belief in their day uh, that they could live in darkness and yet be associated with a God of light. And I still to this day struggle when you go to a funeral service and everyone says, well, this guy, he's in heaven, and everything in his life was darkness. Something doesn't connect there. He says, if we say that we are in the light... And yet everything about our life is darkness. He says this, somebody's lying and it's not God. Okay, So John now hops on to this point about the dangerous flaw in the Gnostics' thinking, that of sinlessness, that they could separate the flesh from the Spirit. Remember the Gnostics' way of thinking? They could separate the flesh from the Spirit and thus they could be without sin, and be sinless. So John's going to deal with that wrong thinking. So it's kind of a weird combination, because he just talked about, in in verses 5 through 7, this idea that they were living in darkness, and yet claiming to be in the light. And now he's going to talk about this, at the same time they're living in darkness, or unrighteousness, or sinfulness, at the same time they're doing that, they are also claiming that they are without sin. Make that make sense for five seconds. How can somebody at the same time be living an absolute sinful life and yet claim sinlessness? Well, remember the Gnostics' way of thinking was the flesh and the spirit are two separate things. The flesh is only bad, the spirit once you reach a point of enlightenment, can only be good. And so in their mind, they could do whatever they wanted to in the flesh and live in darkness, but that was disassociated with and disconnected with the Spirit so they could be without sin and yet be totally in sin. Now, unfortunately, there's people in our day who kind of have some similar weird wonky thinking in their mind. That they say, you know what, we're going to make God look really good. We're going to go sin really, really bad. And then it'll make God look so good when He forgives us. You say, people do that? Have you ever been a part of a testimony service before? Now listen, I love that God can redeem the worst of us. I'm so thankful we have testimonies in the Bible like the testimony of Saul, who became Paul, who was murdering Christians, and God saved him. Amen but Paul would be the first one to tell you that really isn't a testimony to be glorified. Actually, some of the best testimonies are the testimonies were someone can get up and they were kept from all of those things by the grace of God. You know, instead of being saved out of it, being saved from it. And so, anyway, sometimes if we're not careful, we can even glorify sin. And so John here kind of begins to refute this faulty thinking. So they had got to the point where they thought that they were sinless because they had reached this point of enlightenment now John sums this up in verse 8 and verse 10 with the statements like this if we say that we have no sin and then in verse 10 if we say that we have not sinned now these sound very similar but in essence basically what he's saying is this variations we don't sin and thus we are not sinners the, the reason in verse 8 and verse number 10, why he addresses this and says, if we say that we have no sin. And verse number 10, if we say that we have not sin, Well, who would be saying that? Well, it's obviously the people John's been like, gotten the crosshairs here and he's just nailing them. These Gnostics who are over there and they're saying this, uh, we haven't done anything wrong. We are without sin. And that is basically what they're saying. So to be without sin... They're in essence saying this, we are not sinners. Now that's a dangerous statement to start to make. Uh, If you ever witness to somebody who cannot come to the conclusion that they have sinned, that kind of ends the conversation for salvation right there. Because if somebody's not lost, they can't be found. If somebody's not a sinner, they can't be saved from that sin. And so here this is a major problem of the true gospel. Now, there are results of this belief system that they had not sinned. So let me look at a couple of these uh, things here. The first thing is this, what would happen, according to John, if somebody believed that they are not a sinner or they had never sinned, the first thing is, is that they are deceived. He kind of makes that clear in our text here, is the idea that they are uh, not in the truth, they have deceived They think they're deceiving others, but the truth is they've deceived themselves. They're living a lie. The second thing is, and this one's pretty bad, is they're calling God a liar. (laughs) That's a dangerous thing to do. You say, well, how are they calling God a liar? Well, in multiple places in God's Word, He has declared very clearly that you are a sinner. At Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. (laughs) In Romans 3.10, it would say it this way, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good, and sinneth not. And then 1 Kings 8.46 says this, If they sin against thee, and then in parentheses, For there is no man that sinneth not. Now, listen, the Bible makes it abundantly clear, not just in those verses, but in a lot more, that there is not an individual person who has ever lived on the face of this earth, apart from Jesus Christ, who has lived without sin. We have all been born sinners, and we all live and choose sin. And so John has to make it very abundantly clear here, for somebody to make the definitive statement, uh, well, I'm not a sinner, then they're saying God is a liar, Because God has definitively declared every man a sinner. Well, it even goes against the character of God. Because God is holy, we're inherently not. Because He's righteous, we're not. Because He's God, we're not. He's clean, perfect, and pure. So if a person says they're not a sinner when God's word and ways declare that they are, the question is, who's lying? It's not God, okay? it's, it's somebody else, it obviously is them. The third problem that this does is the Bible tells us here that the truth or the word of God is not in them. Just as a person who lives in darkness, in verse 6 he says this, does not the truth, he says do not the truth there at the end of verse number 6, so too those who claim to be without sin do not have God's truth. Or word in their life. Now, <clears throat> this is uh, kind of a weird dynamic here. Because in verses 5 through 7, he talks about the idea that there were those who were in gross sin. And now he's talking about the same people, but kind of on another spectrum, are saying that they have no sin. So, wh- wh- where are we supposed to fall on this? Well, it's kind of like a gymnastics person walking on the, the beam, right? There, there's kind of a, a narrow path. There's always a narrow way, the broad way that leads to discretion, the narrow way that leads to lie. There's always that truth, that narrow way, where there's a lot of error on either side of it. And if you're not careful, sometimes you lean too far, one way you'll fall off. If you lean too far, the other way you'll fall off. Now listen, we're going to talk about this in this lesson here tonight, but there are those who tend towards the side of, well, it doesn't matter what I do, who cares, I'll just sin. And there are others who tend towards the side of, I have to be perfect or God won't love me. And there's a ditch or a a way of falling off the beam in either direction. And so John, which I love to do this, we talked about this last week, is a way, uh, on Sunday night we talked about this, is a way to know a counterfeit is to know the real thing. And so to be able to know what the truth of the gospel is helps you from falling off either direction when you know what the real and genuine thing is. So those who believe they were too sinful for forgiveness. So John starts to deal with that because there were those who thought they had to be without sin or be sinless, and so we can talk about those who say, why do I feel like I have to be sinless and have no sin in my life and be perfect. Um, let me give you just kind of a, a testimony, a little bit of a story here. When I was a teenager, I was out door knocking uh, over off 2123 uh, area, kind of between here and Cottondale, and went back in some back road there. And as I went back there, I uh, found this old kind of beat down trailer, and there was this old man who was sitting there and he was just in a pair of shorts it was summertime had no shirt on and he was just covered in tattoos and so i went up there and i was probably i don't know 17 at the time i went up there and introduced myself from a distance and he said we could visit and went up there and i don't know how old he was he was he was up in age though and so as i sat down i asked him if i could share the gospel with him he said he wasn't saved and began to share the gospel with him. Now, here's this super sad testimony that this man gave me. He began to just well up with tears, tears just running down his eyes as he told me this, I am too bad to receive God's forgiveness. Now, I, I looked at him and said, no, 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 you don't understand. And, and the more I explained, the more he began to tell me story after story after story of the filth and wrong decisions and and evil deeds and sin in his life and he said no one could ever forgive me no one would ever stand up for me i'm so low down and sorry i deserve hell and i don't even want, and i tell you, no matter how hard i tried or i desired that man refused the gospel because he said i am unworthy of god's forgiveness and god's salvation now listen, we can get that way as a lost person, but even as saved people, we say, I have failed so miserably, God just needs to give up on me. I am so far gone, I have, I have said too many times I'm going to quit, and I kept doing it, and God surely is done with me. I am not worthy of His forgiveness. Now listen, that's fallen off the beam the wrong direction of thinking there's a God in heaven who expects you to live without sin, and John comes down, and I love how he, he says this, if, if somebody says they have no sin in their life, they're lying. Just like somebody who says that <laughs> they can live in gross sin and yet claim to be in the light, ditch on this side, you have this ditch on the other side of somebody who walks around like they've done nothing wrong, right? Well, you have to remind everyone every once in a while, we, we can you know, put on a suit and tie and fix ourselves up and come to church and look all, you know, dignified and churchy. But really, we're just a room full of broken, fallen people that are sinners at our best who just need the grace and forgiveness of an almighty God. When we forget that, it's when we get in trouble because we expect perfection from people. Newsflash, if you're expecting perfection from anybody in this church, from the pastor down, you're going to be very miserably disappointed. Well, I don't go to church anymore. Somebody hurt me. Welcome to the club. Why? Because we're broken people. (laughs) We're just all trying to figure this thing out. And I'm thankful we have an advocate with the Father, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I'm thankful we've got Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, church. I'm thankful we have all of those things. But here's the problem. I think that there might even be an individual here tonight at Bible Baptist Church who has fallen off on one side extremely who says this, God could never love me. God could never forgive me. I'm past usefulness for God. That is a lie of Satan. Right. You're never too far gone for God. And so I'm thankful John addresses this faulty thinking here. Now, there are several reasons, though, why people feel this way. Let me give you three of them here real quickly. The first one is this. I'm just too bad. Why do people feel like they're too sinful or God couldn't forgive? Well, one, they're just... Too bad. Those who have done very wicked and hurtful sins, usually people who feel this way have hurt somebody else in their life. Maybe it is that even the person that they hurt has forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. Another reason, no one would love me or stand up for me. If I were to stand trial for my wrong, if I were to stand trial and, and my guilt were to be laid before me, Nobody would stand up for me. I'm too far gone. And then number three would be this. Might as well just sin. God will never forgive me. I'm too far gone. I might as well just go in. I might as well just take the plunge and just give up instead of trying and trying and trying. I love the fact the Bible says the mark of a righteous man is not that he never falls. It's that he gets back up. But there are those who have fallen so many times that they say, I'm just going to stay down. So, though this can be true of unbelievers, like I mentioned before, this this veteran that I met there felt he was too far gone. It can also be true of God's children who have gotten into sin and very far away from the Lord. Now, while John addresses the dangers of the Gnostics' extreme belief of sinlessness, he by default addresses the temptation to conceal those sins by those who feel like they're unredeemable, they've gone too far. So let me just kind of run through this quickly. These three things. Why do I feel like I'm too sinful? God can never do this. Okay, one, you are not too bad for Jesus. Okay, you might say you're too bad, but you are not too bad for Jesus. He can forgive our sins according to verse number nine. And this is any sinfulness man can fall into. I'm thankful 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9 would say it this way. I'll try to do this quick. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's, that's a weighty list. That, that's pretty bad. Some of those things that were mentioned there, like effeminate and abusers of themselves, like those who had gone into the homosexual lifestyle... And he talks about some some very egregious sins that are very contrary to the word of God. But I love when he follows it up in the verse that he says this. And such were some of you. But he doesn't just stop there. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Mm, Which is this. It doesn't matter how bad the sin is. God can redeem the lowest of us. God can save the lowest of us. Now, notice that also in 1 John 2, 2, John said this, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Is, is, is This truth is, listen, God's blood and God's forgiveness is not efficient enough just to save the ones that are right here in this room. God's blood is efficient enough to forgive and save everybody in Bridgeport. Mm. Listen, God, God didn't just choose to save and forgive a few. He, he chose to forgive the whole world. Amen. Now they must accept that gift and believe in Him. But listen, if God is efficient enough to forgive us and save us, He is efficient and, and, and God enough to forgive you of your sins once you already belong to Him. Amen. L- listen, some of you say, man, God saved me, but now I'm too far gone because a saved person wouldn't do these things. Well, according to John here, he simply says this if, if God can save the whole world, he can deal with your problem. If, if God can forgive effeminates, and God can forgive adulterers, and God can forgive murderers, then God can forgive you and heal you of what you've done in your life. Absolutely, he can. Second thing is this God does love you, and he will stand up for you. Somebody maybe says this, uh, you know, if I were to stand trial for what I've done wrong. Nobody would stand up for me. Well, I'm thankful there's a God in heaven who absolutely would stand up for you. John says that we have an advocate with the Father in John 2, one. there, 1 John 2, one. Now, I wish we... This is a whole sermon that we're going to do in like 30 seconds. So, buckle your seatbelt, okay? Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah was perfect and righteous and pure and without sin. Now, this perfect, pure, righteous God, the anointed, promised one, Messiah, He is our advocate. Now, the word advocate is kind of the idea of a lawyer who stands in defense of a client. This is one who pleads the case. Now, remember Jesus here on His earthly ministry? Uh, He actually said this in John 14, 16. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you ever. Okay, here's the thing. When Jesus was here, he says, I will stand in the gap, if you will. I I will plead your case to the Father, but when he leaves, he let the Holy Spirit. Now, again, there's a whole sermon in this. Here's the 30-second unpacking. In heaven, Jesus stands as the mediator or the advocate to the Father for us, which I'm so thankful for because if we were to stand with all of our sinfulness and filth, we are so undeserving. And yet Jesus stands in the place and says he is washed, he is forgiven, he is white, he is pure. And like a lawyer in a a courtroom, he who is the ancient of days declares to all the accusers, this one is clean. But he also said that I will leave a comforter, an advocate. So this goes the other way too. That there is an advocate from the Father to us in the way of the Holy Spirit. So where Jesus stands in the way of declaring our case before God, you have opposite way where the Holy Spirit is making our intercessions known and the groanings which can't really be interpreted and helps us feel the comfort and love of God. Amen. So where Jesus pleads our case before God, the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our heart the love of God. Amen. Mm, such a reminder that when we feel worthless, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, wraps us up and says, you're worthy You are loved, you are forgiven, you are washed, you are clean. We have an advocate. We have a go-between, we have a lawyer. Listen, anybody who says nobody would ever stand up for me, the Bible makes it very clear that you have someone who will stand up for you. The third thing that he mentions there is uh, the attitude of I'm just going to go sin. I've already messed up too bad, I might as well just go in all the way and just stay falling down. I'm not getting up again. First John 2, 1, he says this, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. You know, the desire of every believer ought to be not to just give in to sin, Amen. and just stay down. And John says, hey, I'm, I'm writing this to you, because I don't want you to live in sin. John understands that we can't be sinless, but that ought to be what we're striving for. We ought to be trying for that. And there are uh, procedures, which we're going to talk about, of how to be forgiven when we do sin and be made right with God. The truth is that God wants to be an advocate. He wants to forgive sin. He wants to cleanse unrighteousness, and He will, but not when we conceal our sin. The only way that we can have an advocate, the only way that we can have the forgiveness and cleansing of a God Almighty who wants to do those things is if we'll we'll confess. The concealing of sin merits not forgiveness, but judgment. So much so that we could say this. If we say, kind of, we've been talking about like a central idea or a main idea, which would be this in this text confess, don't conceal sin. God wants you to confess your sin, not to conceal it. Now listen, this goes wrong on both ways. There are those who live in gross sin and act like, well, I don't even need forgiveness. And there are those who feel like, well, my sin is so far gone, God will never forgive me, so I'm just going to hide it up. If people knew, if, if, if God knew, if I came clean on this, everyone would hate me and I would, I would, nobody would love me. And that's the lie of the enemy. That's the lie of Satan who says, cover it up, conceal it, hide it. John encourages believers to confess their sin and live out the truth that Proverbs 28 and verse number 13 tells us, which is this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confessing sin is not just, oh yeah, I've done some bad things. Naming names, calling specifics. I'm thankful I'm not a Catholic, <laughs> where you don't have to get in a booth with me and tell me what you've done wrong. You have an advocate with the Father, and you are to confess your sins to God. But be specific. He already knows what you did. If you say it this way, confessing sin, in, in a big part is allowing our thinking to begin to align with God's thinking about sin. It's a big part of it. Allowing where I've been thinking, well, I can cover this up, it's not that bad, it'll be all right, I can handle this, to now be exposed to the truth of God's Word and God's light, which says, it is really bad, and I can't handle this, and I need you, God, exposing it for what it really absolutely is. When we confess sin to God, there's a few things that He will do. The enemy, Satan, will tell you the exact opposite of this. But here's what God's Word says. When we confess our sin to God, He will forgive us and He will cleanse us. <laughs> it says in verse number 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To forgive literally means this, to send it away. As far as the east is from the west, never more to be remembered. To cleanse literally means to purify, make it white as snow as if it never were clean. God forgives the sins that we confess, and He cleanses us from every filthy sin that hinders our life. Notice that God says in verse number nine there that if we will confess that He is these things, He is faithful and He is just. That in his forgiveness and in his cleansing, he's not going to forget or drop the ball. He is faithful to do it. And he's also this, he's just. He is a God who knows how to execute proper judgment. And because of Calvary, although every sin is deserving of hell, because of Calvary, he can justly deal with every sin because he nailed it to the cross. I'm thankful he's faithful and just. Number two, he can also do this. He can be our advocate. Now, we already, we already talked about what an advocate is. But when you confess your sins to God, instead of concealing it, you confess it to God, what happens is God then becomes your advocate. When you confess your sin, it's like you have a lawyer that stands in your place that pleads your case for you. Mm. The third thing is this. He becomes our propitiation. Now, this is, a, a, again, one of those words that we could spend a whole sermon on. Romans 3 is another chapter that really deals with this idea of propitiation. Propitiation simply means this, appeasement. So when it talks about Christ being our propitiation, it simply means this, He will take our punishment for us. So if I were to say this, Kyson did something and he's deserving of some judgment or punishment, and I step in and I go, I'll take that for him. I now have become the propitiation. I am the one who will receive the judgment that is justly deserving of another. The one who appeases the wrath. Now listen, there was nobody who could appease the wrath of Almighty God except for a perfect sacrifice. A sinless sacrifice. And the book of Isaiah would tell us this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief, the Bible says. He was smitten and wounded for our transgressions. Our stripes are upon Him. Now listen, what was that? When God looked at Jesus, He was an acceptable sacrifice. And all our sins, just like in the Old Testament, there were those sacrifices where they would bring them, not for thanksgiving, not not as a, a free will offering, but a sin offering, a trespass offering, where they would put their hand on the head of that animal signifying this is my animal and my guilt is being placed on this animal. This animal is going to die so I can live. This animal is going to be put to death so I don't have to. This animal is going to take my shame and death and nakedness and guilt so I don't have to. All those were foreshadowings of who Jesus would be. Our propitiation. Listen, when we confess our sins, I'm thankful that He is that. He is the one who takes the brunt of our sin. Listen, I'm thankful I don't have to bear all the guilt and shame and filth of my sin. Jesus did that for me on the cross of Calvary. Listen, that's not efficient just enough for salvation. That's efficient enough for daily living in grace. Listen, I'm thankful we can go before God every day and go, I failed again. And He can say, I am your propitiation. God bruised me so you could be forgiven. And because you've confessed, forgiven That's what God wants us to do. Now, again, we're not talking about confession in order to continue to be saved or get re-saved or anything. We're just talking about if we want to have fellowship with God, sin is a barrier to fellowship. We need to tear that down. John talks about that very truth. Okay, God wants us to regularly and openly confess our sin. Now, 1 John 2, 1, of course, says that we ought not sin, but when we do, there are procedures put in place of how to deal with that. So here's how you confess sin. First thing is this in prayer, openly verbalize your sin to God. Tell him what you did wrong. Say, well, how do I confess my sin to God? Tell him what you did. You say, Well, that's not that big of a deal. Tried it before? Get on your knees before God. Say, God, I've been thinking this. God, I got angry. God, I looked at that and lay it all open and bare before an almighty God. Second thing is this. Acknowledge his holiness in your desire to align with his thinking about sin. Align your thinking with his. It's kind of like this. We go before him, God, I did this wrong and I know it's wrong because your word says it's wrong. And I've been acting like it isn't, but you're holy and right and I want my thinking to align with your thinking about this sin. Okay, Number three, ask for forgiveness and cleansing from your sin. <clears throat> Lord, will you forgive me? I did wrong. Psalm 32, 5 says this, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Confess. So let me give you a couple practical advice things here, okay? And we'll be done. Uh, First thing is this. Confess faults to others. Now, James 5.16 would say it this way. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Mm, Now, now, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what James is talking about here. You confess your sins to God. You confess your faults to others. Now, Should there be somebody who wants to absolve themselves of guilty conscience and says, Preacher, I want to get up at the platform and declare everything wrong that I've ever done before the whole congregation. I would say this, no. (laughs) That's not what God wants you to do. You won't find that in the scriptures. But you do need to hit an altar or get on your knees before God at home and do just that. Confess openly the sin that you have done. But the Bible does say that we ought to confess our faults one to another. Now listen, I don't have to get specific with somebody about what I did, but I can tell them something like this. You know, I'm really struggling with anger. You know, I've been having a problem with lust. You know, this has been an issue in my life. You know, I'm having a problem forgiving this person. You don't have to get into all the specifics, and you don't have to get up in front of God and everybody and declare that and air your dirty laundry. But you can find somebody in this congregation because he tells us right there in James that you confess your faults. What is it? That you may be healed. Listen, church is not a place where we show up where everyone can look down in judgment and go, well, they're just not as righteous as I am. What is that? I mean, I know there's churches like that, that exist, but it ain't going to be this one. Amen. If somebody's vulnerable with you, then consider the issue you got in your own life good. so you can see clearly to help them and I'll keep you humble big time <laughs> you have somebody come and say hey my marriage is struggling or hey I'm having this problem with anger or hey I'm struggling with this lust and you look in your life so I'm not struggling with that but I'm sure struggling with this I'll tell you what if you'll help me with this I'll help you with that we can pray for each other good. <laughs> listen choose out somebody who is on a spiritual plane that is higher than yours Maybe it's a maybe it's pastor Or maybe it's some other brother or sister here in Christ that you get with them and you you just go with them and say, listen, I need to talk about this issue that's here because I've been trying to deal with it and I've been concealing it and it needs to be exposed to the light. Because the more I conceal it, the more I fail, the more I fall, the more I'm not getting where I need. And so what needs to happen? Well, we need to confess the sin to God and we need to confess our faults to others so that we can be healed Some of you wondering why you keep going before God over and over and over and over and over and over again confessing sin and you can't ever find victory in your life. It's because you haven't followed the procedures of Scripture and confessed your faults to somebody else. That's it. If you want to be healed of that problem, you must confess your faults to somebody else. You need to find somebody who can be in your corner in this fight because you're not going to win it on your own. God gave you a New Testament church for that very reason. Yep, God didn't design you to live in isolation. It's a team lift problem. Quit trying to lift it on your own, okay? And then the second thing, and and we'll be done here, is this. Force yourself to be accountable. When somebody starts to think, oh man, I don't want anybody to know about that, it ought to be an alarm system that goes, ding, 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 ding. I need to let somebody know about that. Why? Because you're trying to conceal something that usually means this. You know it's wrong, you know it's hurtful, and you're really deceiving yourself and thinking it's not that big of a deal. So what you need to do is force yourself to be accountable. Set up safeguards, barriers in your life to prevent you from falling into sin. Daily confession times, accountability partners in your life that will call you out when you have sin. Sin will always cause serious damage, so be serious with sin. Jesus even said it this way if your eye offends you, what do you do with it? Plug it out. If your hand offends you, what do you do? Now, God doesn't want us all to become blind and not have hands, but He does want us to do this. If sin has become an issue and a problem in your life, you better get serious with it, or else it's going to cost you a lot more than a hand or an eye. You better get serious with it. And so, God says this confess your sins to God, confess your faults to others. Now, listen, when I was at Disney, I hit a problem, and it got really bad. I'm thankful it got resolved. But I think here tonight some people have a much larger problem in their life of sin. And you've been concealing it. And here's what John says. Confess. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. You've got to confess it. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here.